I'm pulling my driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for another drive to work. Okay, today we are, this is another in my podcast, 20 years in 20 podcasts, where I'm taking um, every year, starting from Magic's beginning in 1993, all the way up to the present, uh, which by the end will actually be more than 20 podcasts, but it was a catchy title. Um, when I started, it was 20, but obviously it's taking a lot to do. Uh, and anyway, as I do it, I will then talk about the whole year. Uh, I'll start from the beginning of the year, and I'll talk about everything I can come up with that happened during that year. Um, these are not super exhaustive. Usually I hit all the products and I hit all the Pro Tours. Um, I try to hit other things when I can. If I forget something, sometimes just the places I do my research, I might you know, like, this was the year that Legacy got introduced, and I, I miss stuff like that. So I, I try the best I can to hit all the things. It's not a thoroughly exhaustive, but it's hopefully decently exhaustive. Okay, we start January 8th was the release of the Premium Shards of Alara booster. So for those who have no idea what I'm talking about, we released a booster in which every card in it was premium, was a foil, and um, the cards were, there were 539 cards from all of Alara blocks. So Shards of Alara, um, and uh, uh, Alara Born, and uh, Conflux, all three sets. Uh, so they made a booster of, of a combination of cards from the whole block. They were all premium, and you could draft them and have fun. Um, so people might say, hey, that sounds interesting, but why have we never seen that product again? Um, usually when we make something and we don't make more of it, uh, 99% of the time is it just didn't sell well. It wasn't popular enough. And so uh, we did it. It, it it just wasn't, it did not get enough people who were interested in it, so we didn't continue it. Obviously, when we start something like that, the idea is always like, oh, maybe this could be something we do every year, um, but that one just didn't pick up enough steam. Okay, so by the way, one of the, the themes of 2010 is, I talked about how in 2008, 2009, we were starting ramping up, and now we're in full-fledged, like, Magic's just making lots of stuff, and so you'll see that as I go through. Um, you'll also see in 2010, we, we, there's some experimentation going on, but we'll, we'll get to that. Okay. January 30th was the pre-release. February 5th was the release of Worldwake, a.k.a. Long. So this set, uh, so it was Zendikar, Worldwake, um, Rise of the Odrazi. So it was Live, Long, and Prosper. Uh, that code name, by the way, really interesting. I wrote an article where I talked about all the code names, and then I let the public vote on a code name. And the one you guys chose was Rock, Paper, Scissors, which I believe we use for Scars and Mirrodin. But anyway... Uh, somebody during that, I got a lot of suggestions for other code names, and someone suggested Live Long and Prosper, being an old uh, Star Trek fan, I thought that was awesome, so we used that, so this year was Live Long and Prosper. So World Lake, by the way, was a traditional small set, uh, at the time it had 60, um, commons, 40 uncommons, 35 rares, and 10 mythics. Um, it continued all the themes of Zendikar, so it had landfall and allies and traps and quests. But it expanded upon it in a couple of ways. One is, Kicker showed up in the first set. The second set had Multi-Kicker. So Multi-Kicker uh, just means that you can kick it as many times as you want. You're not limited to one time. Normal spells that you kick with Kicker, you can only kick it once. Multi-Kicker, you can kick as many times as you wanted. Um, we actually designed Multi-Kicker during Zendikar design, but we wanted to save some stuff for World Wake and decided that was a good thing we could save. Um, another thing that we actually did in Zendikar, but once again we saved, was there were animated lands. And so we saved, well, when I say we saved, that's a little bit different. We didn't make them. We knew we were going to do them in World Lake, so we let World Lake design them. So the idea of lands animating, that's really a theme that plays up in World Wake. Um, World Wake was designed, the design was led by Ken Nagel. I believe that's his first expansion design. 
Um, and then Mike Turian led the development. Um, the set is also known for having, um, uh, let's say I'm blank on names, uh, Stone Blank Mystic, Stone, ah, I hate whatever I forget names. It's Jason the Mind Sculptor and, uh, ah, I'm blanking the name. You guys know the name. Uh, the two cards that were real powerful that ended up getting banned. Uh, normally we don't have two banned cards in the same set. That's a pretty rare set that does that, but World Wake did. Um, and, um, anyway, uh, those, those cards, the World Wake was interesting because that Zendikar drafted with World Wake when World Wake came out, but then when you got to the third set, we didn't draft with World Wake. World Wake was very pinched as far as how much stuff got drafted, that it was one pack in one draft during the whole year. Uh, and so there were just less World Wake out there. It's one of the reasons that, uh, World Wake's definitely a lot sought after because there were less cards that kind of got in the mix than, than a normal set. Okay, next. February 19th through the 21st was Pro Tour San Diego. So remember, this is back in the day where we still named the Pro Tours after the city they were held in. Uh, pretty soon, we'll start naming them after the, the sets they feature, but we'll, we haven't got quite got there yet. Okay, next. Uh, it used Standard and it used World Wake Booster Draft. Um, remember, sometime, I think in the previous year, they started moving to a system where there was constructed and limited at every Pro Tour. I think that started in 2009, maybe started in 2010. Um, anyway, at this event, uh, Simon Gertsen of Germany defeated Kyle Bogums of the USA. So uh, Gertsen is a very, he's a commentator. You guys might have seen him do Pro Tour commentaries, very good. Um, he was a pro that had been around, for, been around for a long time, but finally had his due. He won a Pro Tour. Um, one of the things that's really nice is when you see somebody who really is a really strong player, who's been present and definitely been somebody who people have looked up to, finally win their first Pro Tour. It's, it's, it's very exciting, so I was happy to see Simon win. Okay, on March 19th was Dual Deck Phyrexia versus the Coalition. So it was two 60-card decks, one deck re- representing the Phyrexians and one deck representing the Coalition. For those who don't know their magic story, um, during the Weatherlight Saga, this was the end of the Weatherlight Saga, um, Urza and the Weatherlight crew, the, this was all leading toward a giant um, Dominario was being attacked by the Phyrexians, who one of Magic's big bad guys, probably the earliest of the big bad guys of Magic. And... Urza and crew had to stop him. And so it led to a giant battle. They invaded, an invasion, for those that aren't aware, the Frexians invaded Dominaria, and there was a giant war. And that whole block, uh, in the end, the Frexians were defeated um, and, and, wiped, and wiped from the multiverse, never to raise their head again. Well, almost never, because they do. Um, it's, it's hard to kill creatures that replicate from oil, I guess. <laughs> they're, 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 they're hard creatures to truly, truly eradicate. Anyway, um... So we were going back uh, later in the year. We'll get to this. We were going to re- revisit Mirrodin, but Mirrodin had been visited. or We, we learned that si- since we first met Mirrodin, they had been affected by the Frexians, who had been slowly taking them over. Uh, and so we wanted to remind everybody about the Frexians, because at this point, you hadn't seen the Frexians since Invasion Block. That was a long time at this moment. From 2010, that was a long, long time ago. Invasion came out in 2000, I believe. So, like, you hadn't seen the Frexians in about 9, 10 years. So just to remind everybody who the Frexians were, we made a dual deck that had them in it. We put them against the last uh, person they fought, which was the Coalition, which was the group of people in Dominaria collected together to stop them. All of Dominaria came together, even people who don't really get along, to, to stop the shared threat of the uh, Frexian invasion. 
Anyway, so we made a dual deck highlighting an old conflict, but really our secret motive, our secret agenda, was reintroducing the Phyrexians, because we knew the Phyrexians were going to come back to the, to the story in a big way, and we wanted people to be aware of who they were. We knew old-timers, we knew who they were. I mean, the Phyrexians were some of the, in, in some ways, really the first classic villains of magic. The Phyrexians, uh, uh, they, they go way they, I guess Nicole both said, well, go way back into early magic. Um, and the Phyrexians actually go back to the very first story with Urza and Mistra. The Phyrexians are involved in the very, very first story of magic ever told. So they go way back. Um, but anyway, we'll talk more about the Phyrexians later in the year. Okay, next, April 17th was the pre-release. April 23rd was the release for Rise of the Eldrazi, a.k.a. Prosper. So the set had 248 cards, 100 commons, 60 M commons, 53 rares, and 15 mythic rares. Now, this number is confusing some people because normally there are 249 cards. At the time, there were 249 cards in a large set. What happened was, instead of doing 101 commons, normally... The 101st common is this weird card that's slightly less common than common, but more common than uncommon. We call it common, um, but it, it actually shows up a little less than the other commons. Um, we decided to use that slot to repeat one of the Eldrazi to make sure that players were seeing the Eldrazi. I forget, there were two common Eldrazi. I forget which one it was. If you played a lot of it, one of them showed up on the other. Um, but anyway, we wanted to make sure that you saw the Eldrazi at common, because if your theme's not at common... Um, and so we used that slot to repeat one of the Eldrazi, just to make sure that they were showing up. Um, have you ever wondered why there was one less? Um, so Rise of the Eldrazi was led designed by Brian Tinsman, and the uh, development was led by Matt Place. So what was going on here is, originally the plan was, we were going to visit a world, be there for two sets, a large and a small, and then the large set's going to take place in a completely different world. So you can see us toying around with what would end up being the two-black paradigm, um, but what happened was, it was a lot of work for the, for the creative team, and the creative team, while trying to discover Zendikar, came up with this neat idea that there are these creatures trapped inside the world, which is one of the reasons that was making the world act so crazy. Um, and they said, well, you know what? We, wanna, we wanted to have a reboot. We wanted the, 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 the set to mechanically start over. And so what happened was, we said, okay, what if the Eldrazi got out, and it just radically changes everything. And so we had no mechanical carryover. We had a little bit of flavor carryover, but even then, not a lot. Really, it was a reboot, but we did a reboot in the same world. Um, so Rise of Drazi, by the way, is a very quirky set in that it, it is much beloved by a lot of the, high, the hardcore uh, drafting community. It's a really different drafting set and did something just really off the beaten track. And people who really appreciate the nuance of drafting love the set. It's a lot slower. It just it allows a little more time for setup. And there's a lot of different strategies that, that you can use. Although, there are a lot of what we call false path things that normally always work in limited that are horrible. That Like a bear, uh, you know, a two-mana two-two in this format is really bad. Where normally it's a pretty good thing. And previously in Zendikar, it was really good. So, anyway, um, the set was less popular with the more casual players. Um, it was definitely a little more out there. Uh, what happened was... Brian really, um, once they had the idea of the Eldrazi getting released, um, Brian's a longtime Cthulhu fan, and we, the, the, they were sort of designed as Cthulhu meets Galactus, is how we talked about the Eldrazi, and so Brian went to town. Brian had, uh, like, there were, you know, he, the Eldrazi, at least most of them were colorless, the big ones, and there were giant things, and they had the Annihilator mechanics, whenever you attacked, you had to sacrifice so many permanents, your opponent did, and they had, um, what else did they have? They had uh, 
uh, spawn that uh, were things that were made by the Eldrazi that you could stack for mana, zero ones you could stack for mana, that you could um, then help get the Eldrazi out. Uh, and then the people fighting the Eldrazi had totem armor and had level up and there was rebound, a lot of tools. So the, the set was a lot about building, uh, Brian called it battle cruiser magic, which is everything sort of like you had the time to build giant monsters and then smash the giant monsters into each other. Um, but it was, like I said, it was, it was, it's, a, it's a set that has uh, fans and detractors. Um, uh, so it, it's very funny when we talk about it. You, people get very, you definitely have a lot of passion about it. Um, uh, but the set, the set is probably best known for how the, the, the love of the, 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 real, the real draft crowd. They really, really love this product. It, it didn't, wasn't quite as embraced uh, in other aspects. Okay, May 21st was the very first Deck Builders Toolkit. So the idea was we were trying to make new products, and one of the things was, okay, you're starting to play Magic. Is there a way to just, how do you get the first bunch of cards that you need? And, and when you first start playing Magic, um, we noticed that a lot of times what would happen is if you were in a community, sometimes the community would take a lot of commons and uncommons they didn't need, that they had extras of, and they would give it to new players. And we really liked that aspect. We said, okay, well, not everybody necessarily has a nearby community of people that can pull cards for them. Could we make something, could we make a product that kind of replicates that feel? Which is like, it's mostly commons and uncommons, but it just gives you a whole bunch of cards to start making early decks with, you know? And so we came up with the idea called the Deck Builders Toolkit, which uh, the, the, the premium boosters ended up not working out. Deck Builders Toolkit was a big hit. We still make it. Um, and it proved to be a very good early purchase product for people that are starting out. Okay. Next, May 28th to the 30th was Pro Tour San Juan. So it was uh, Zendikar block constructed for the constructed part and uh, Rise of the Eldrazi booster draft for the limited part. Um, Paulo Vitor Dama de Rosa um, won, and he beat uh, Guillaume Matignon from France. So uh, Paulo's from Brazil. Uh, he's in the Hall of Fame. He wasn't at the time, but he later got voted into the Hall of Fame. Um, I think Paulo, I'm not sure whether Paulo has his feet. I think Paulo did. If not, it's Scott Johns. Became the first person to get, or sorry, not the first person, became the fastest person to ever get to five top eights. Um, I think Paulo did it in the shortest amount of time, I believe. Um, but anyway, uh, Paulo it was a very, very good player, but this, I think this was his first win, I believe. Um, and Guillaume Antignon, another good player. We'll hear more from him later in the year. Um, but anyway, this was uh, in lovely San Juan. I, I did not go to this Pro Tour, but I, I had some friends that did. I know Brian Tinsman and his wife did, and they had a great time. So I suppose it was a very nice Pro Tour. Okay, moving on. June 4th. Duels of the Planeswalker decks. Okay, what is this? There's another product you might not have heard of. So they were sixty card, six, five sixty card decks based on five Planeswalkers that were all used. Uh, so Duels of the Planeswalkers had, I think, just come out. Had just come out the previous year. Um, and so what, what happened was we were trying to get people who play that to transition. People who might want to, to transition to Paper Magic. And so we made some paper decks that were similar to the decks in. Duels of the Planeswalkers. Um, they weren't exact. Um, I mean, we had a, they, they weren't exact, but they were close. 
and they definitely had a similar feel. Like if you had a Chandra deck, it was a burn deck. It was a red burn deck. And so, you know, it had a lot of the cards the Chandra deck had. The feel was very, very similar. And so the idea was it was supposed to be an early product that if you had, were familiar with uh, Duels of Planeswalkers, this was a good first product to buy that was a paper product. Um, once again, we never made it again. So uh, my guess is it didn't do particularly well. Um, I don't know much about... I mean, I remember the product getting made. I remember the concept behind the product. I, I, I don't know much about its effectiveness, although us never making it again probably means it wasn't particularly effective. Okay, next, June 18th, Arch Enemy. So this was lead design, I believe, by Ken Nagel. So it was 40 60-card decks and then a, tw- a, a oversized deck of 20 cards. And the idea was those four smaller decks, the normal decks all together took on the big deck. Uh, and the flavor of this was that you were fighting one large master villain and all of you had a team together to, to t- take on the villain. But the oversized cards, the large cards, just a giant, crazy, massive effects. And so it allowed one person to take on um, uh, a team of four. Um, and Arjunate is one of those products. So what we started doing during the summer is we were trying to make, uh, the previous year I think it had been Plane Chase, um, and so we were trying to make, um, we were, tr- we were experimenting our summer and using the slot to make more alternate play patterns. Like, let's make different ways to play magic and introduce the idea to people, hey, you know, tournament magic is awesome, and if you like to play tournament magic, that's great, but you know what? There's a lot of other ways to play magic, and a lot of them are fun, and, you know, there's a lot of formats that you could try out. And so we did a lot of experimenting and tried a lot of cool different things. So Arch Enemy is a good example. I mean, playing Chase here before, Arch Enemy... Um, of just, here's a really different way to play, four-on-one. It didn't have to be four-on-one. It could be multiple people on one. Um, and I know a lot of people that built a lot of fun Arch Enemy decks and you know, just did fun things of trying to figure out how you can defeat them. I know some people that mixed Arch Enemy with Plane Chase. So uh, anyway, this was definitely... Now, people ask about, will we see another Arch Enemy? Um, my answer to that was, the first one was not crazy popular, but was not crazy unpopular. It was kind of in the middle. And so if I was a gambling man, I think one day we'll see Arch Enemy again. That's, that's my take on it. I think it was... One of the things we have to figure out is how much of an audience is for something, and that dictates how often we do something. That the larger the audience there is, the more often we'll do it. You know, uh, I think in 2011, we started toying around with Commander. We discover a huge audience. So we started doing that more often, uh, every year. Um, and so, you know, a lot of kind of what we do is based upon trying to gauge the interest. And so our journey is the kind of thing that there is interest. People like it. A little less common than some other stuff, but it's something that I, I do think we'll go back to one day. Okay, next. Magic 2011. So the, uh, the pre-release for Magic 2011 was on July 10th, and it got released on July 16th. So the, uh, it was a large set, had 249 cards, so 101, 60, 53, 15. Um, that's the same as my, as I, so I'm speaking now. This is a podcast. So right now it's 2015, um, our large sets nowadays are exactly those numbers, except instead of 60 uncommons, we have 80 uncommons. We, uh, to make a better limited experience and have more variety, we, we up the number of uncommons. Okay, anyway, this set was led by Aaron Forsyth, the design was, and the development was led by Eric Lauer. So those are both important in a couple of different axes. Um, so Aaron Forsyth, a um, little, little history in Aaron Forsyth, for those who don't know, Aaron got brought on by me to run the website. Uh, I was in charge of uh, tasked by Bill Rose to making a magic website. We really didn't have much presence. So there was a sideboard that was organized, play-oriented. 
but we really didn't have a general magic presence. And we decided we want one. I got tasked, as, as the guy who went to communication school, I got tasked with making it. And so a lot of the modern website, magic website, uh, was my doing, uh, at least the structuring of it. Um, like, I made the Making Magic column, which I had, I've been writing ever since. But anyway, I needed to find an editor to run the site. And so I searched out. I found three people I thought were talented enough they could do it. I asked all three of them if they would like to do it. Two of them said they were not interested in moving to Washington. But one of them, Aaron Forsyth, was. And so Aaron Forsyth came to, originally to Wizards to run the Magic website. Um, and then we put him on Fifth Dawn to try out his hands at... In fact, we put him on Fifth Dawn basically to see, uh, for him to write an article about it for the thing. Plus, we, we knew he had some chops, and we thought it would be fun to let Aaron be on the set. Aaron blew us away, did an amazing job, um, made Scribe, made Sunburst, did all sorts of stuff during Fifth Dawn. Anyway, we ended up bringing him to R&D. For a while, he was my protege, and I, I was his boss, training him to be a designer. Um, he designed a bunch of sets. And then... There was an opening for lead developer, and Aaron jumped over to become lead developer. And then shortly thereafter, um, the director job opened up, and Aaron ended up taking the director job. So in a very short period of time, went from my being Aaron's boss to Aaron being my boss, which was very bizarre. But anyway, I bring this all up because Aaron um, is, a, is a good designer, but he doesn't have a lot of opportunities to do design because his job takes a lot of time. So Aaron, every once in a while, will get his, get his hands wet and... And, you know, or get his hands dirty, I believe is the expression, and, and do something. He had done Magic 2010 the year before, in which we completely... Ha- Magic 2010, by the way, came out in 2009. So Magic 2011 came out in 2010. Why is that, by the way? Because we need... Uh, it's very important for the core sets to be carried in mass market, and mass market won't carry things that have a previous year name on them. And it's important that we date them by year so people know what they are. So by naming it the next year, much like cars do... It allowed us to keep it around as long as we needed. If we had called Magic... If the set coming out in Magic 10, uh, 2010 was Magic 2010, then uh, the mass market would carry it in 2011, they would stop carrying it. Anyway, that's why we do it. Um, anyway, Aaron had done Magic 2010. had been very popular. He really redid the concept of what the core set was. He, you know, um, it, it, for the first time ever, it had new cards. It had a lot more lean, leaning toward resonance. But anyway, Aaron really... Re- Rechanged how we thought of the core set. He was very excited, so he did Magic 2011 and didn't Magic 2010. Um, Eric Lauer, who's gone on to become the uh, head developer, the equivalent of mine on the development team, um, this was his first lead of a, of a development, I think, I'm pretty sure. And um, he would later go on to do tons and tons of other sets, um, including, I think, Mary Siege. He did Innistrad, he did Theros, he did Cons of Tarkir, he did Return to Ravnica. Uh, he does most of the fall, large fall sets now. Um, but anyway, this was him getting his, getting his first experience. Um, and I think, I'm not sure whether Aaron or Eric did this. My gut is Eric did it, is that this is the first set that, introduced, that brought back, a core set, that brought back an old mechanic. And the mechanic they brought back was Scry. Interesting mechanic that uh, Aaron had created way back in Fifth Dawn, and that is one of Eric's favorite mechanics. In fact, it might, it might be Eric's most favorite mechanic. I know it's up there. It's in his top five, I've been told by Eric. Um, but anyway, it was definitely fun. Uh, they, had a, they had a blast putting the set together. It was a real good set. Um, and um, I guess 2011's biggest thing is that it started the idea of bringing back an old mechanic. Um, other than that, it followed in the footsteps of 2010. Um, it had new cards. It definitely um, 
pushed toward resonance, and it did a lot of things that Aaron had set up in 2010, and he continued in 2011. Um, but there was a lot of changeover. Aaron wanted to make sure that the corset wasn't too stagnant. Okay, and August 27th was From the Vault Relics, a project that I was actually in charge of. Um, we had done the first From the Vault the year before, 2009, called From the Vault Dragons, um, and we wanted to do a new thing. And it's important to me that we change. I wanted the From the Vault to have a lot of different audiences, that it wasn't always the same audience that we could point toward different audiences. And so From the Vault um, Relics, for a while, was, in, was called From the Vault Cube, which meant we wanted to pick a theme that we thought would be relevant to cube players. And so the idea of Relics was banned and restricted. The rule was these were all cards that at some point had been banned or restricted. Um, we had a little bit of fun, because some of the cards that had once been banned or restricted really never deserved it. Uh, so there's a couple cards in there that uh, us having a little bit of fun of things that have gotten banned and restricted, but mostly with just cards that were really good. Because you know why cards get banned and restricted? Because they're really good. And so it was from the vault of a lot of classic cards from the past that just were so good that at one point or another they needed to have some restraint on them. Okay, next was September 3rd was Dual Decks Elspeth versus Tezzeret. Okay, so we started this pattern where we did two Dual Decks a year, the first dual deck, or one of the dual decks was um, theme usually having to do with a fall set. Like this year we did Phyrexia. Um, you'll notice in future years we swap them around so the, the one that has to do with the fall set is closer to the fall set. Um, but anyway, uh, one ha- would have to do with the theme. The themes early on were like elves versus goblins or knights versus dragons or demon- uh, it's, uh, demons versus divine versus demonic. Uh, we started making the themes a little more tied into the fall set. Uh, or, or to a future set, usually the fall set. Um, and we also, every year, had a Planeswalker-oriented dual deck, of which two Planeswalkers would face off. Um, normally, we would pick Planeswalkers that I think were still actively in standard. So you look at the previous year's block. So this was looking at Shards of Alara block. And so there were five Planeswalkers to choose from. Um, and we ended up choosing... We wanted to choose ones we hadn't done before. Anyway, we ended up choosing Elspeth versus Tezzeret. Um, Elspeth more of a good guy. Tezzeret's more of a bad guy. So it definitely had like a good guy, bad guy sort of vibe to it. Um, but anyway, the dual decks were very popular and the Planeswalker dual decks, which came with obviously two Planeswalkers, the, the key to a Planeswalker dual deck was they were the Planeswalkers from the previous block that were still standard legal with a new um, art treatment. Um, anyway, those have always been very popular. Okay. September 3rd through the 5th was Protor Amsterdam. So it was a Scars, uh, um, it's a booster draft of Scars of Mirrodin, and I didn't write down what the format was. Maybe it was standard? Anyway, add it, Paul Rietzel of the United States defeats Brad Nelson of the United States. So Paul Rietzel uh, would go on to become a Hall of Famer. So Brad Nelson, we're going to hear about him in a sec, um, but Brad Nelson was having a mighty fine year. Like I said, we'll talk about that upcoming. Okay, next, September 25th was the pre-release. October 1st was the release of Scars of Mirrodin. Oh, wait a second. Scars of Mirrodin. I guess Rock, Paper, Scissors was not Scars of Mirrodin, but must have been the set before. Oh, so it must have been Shards of Alara Block, but it's been Rock, Paper, Scissors. Anyway, uh, Scars of Mirrodin was lights, camera, action. So it was lights, camera, action. So it was a normal large size set at the time, 101 commons, 60 uncommons, 53 rares, 15 mythics. 
So the idea behind Scars of Mirrodin, for those, I mean, I've talked about this a bunch of times, but the, originally the set was going to be New Phyrexia. We, we visit the plane New Phyrexia, and then at the end of the block we learn, dun, 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 New Phyrexia is actually Mirrodin. But what we realized is we were glossing over a really cool story, which is, hey, aren't we going to talk about how, Phyrex- how Mirrodin became New Phyrexia? So the idea was we moved it back. We started, um, when the first set started, which is Scars of Mirrodin, the Phyrexians had only have a foothold in. I think 20% of the cards were had a Phyrexian watermark on it. So for those that don't know, if you go back and look at original Mirrodin, there were clues placed in original Mirrodin, some in the cards, some in the books, that the Phyrexians were there, that um, Karn had tracked some oil um, from when he was a planeswalker, and um, when he lost his, his planeswalker status for a little while during Time Spiral, um, he got infected. And anyway, uh, Karn unwittingly infected Mirrodin, his creation, with some Phyrexian oil. Um, you saw a little beginning of it in early Mirrodin, where it's teasing. And that's not retcon, by the way. It's not that like we went back and said, hey, let's pretend we did that. You go back and look. Uh, the Mephidros, there, you look in the book, there's the oil that, uh, like the first chapter, um, uh, what's the main character finds, or not main character, the main bad guy finds, Memnarch finds the oil which clearly goes into his skin. Anyway, it's there. We didn't, it's, it's, honestly, guys, there's no reconning. We had set this up. Brady Donmouth, who was creative director at the time, really wanted a way to bring back the Frexians. He knew they were big villains of ours. So he made Mirrodin. He set up the thing so that when we returned to Mirrodin, it could be new Frexia. Anyway, um, so the way it was set up is we had uh, two mechanics for the Frexians and two mechanics for the um, Mirrins. Um, the Frexians obviously had Infect and had... Um, proliferate. Infect has gone on to be possibly the most um, uh, what's the word I want? Polarizing mechanic ever made. Uh, there are people that love, 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 love uh, Infect and people that hate, hate, hate Infect. And so I, I, I fight all the time on my on my blog. The, the, I give the Infect haters a lot of a mail and I, I argue with them. Uh, I, uh, one of the things about my blog, by the way, for those that, that actually read my blog is I tend to give a lot more... I, just because it makes for interesting conversations, I tend to let people that are negative something talk a little more. Because if someone says, I love something, I can say, oh, that's great, awesome. And I do that as, I do that some, obviously. But when someone says, I don't like something, I can, I can debate it and talk about it. And it just, it just makes more stirring conversations. So I lean a little more toward the controversy. So if you read my blog, for example, you would think that everybody wants Champions of Kamigawa to come back and everyone wants to kill Infect. And, you know, I, I just take the people that... that I tend to take the argumentative side and give them a little more voice just because it makes more interesting blogs anyway, for those who care. Uh, okay, anyway, um, on the Mirren side, the Mirrens had um, Metalcraft and they had Imprint. Um, so Imprint had been brought back from the first time we were mirrored in. By the way, instead of Metalcraft, we almost, almost had Affinity. Uh, my original plan was to bring back um, in, in, Imprint and Affinity being... Uh, the, both of the Mirrens were repeats, things you had saw before when last we were in Mirrodin. Um, and the reason we didn't do it, development thought they could balance it. The problem was, develop, there's a room for error in anything development does. So there, you know, there's a percentage chance that maybe they, they're off by some. And the thought was, to miss on something that had been so destructive before would have huge negative PR ramifications. It's one thing to mess up on something we've never done before, but to mess up something that, we, that really had a huge negative impact on the tournament scene if we mess up a second time, really big PR risk. So we decided that, okay, we'll make Affinity Light, which is what Metalcraft ended up being. 
Metalcraft ended up being designed by Mark Globus, by the way, who was on the design team, for a completely different project that he had been making. Um, I think when I do... I, I, I did, no, I've already done the Scars Mirrored podcast. I, I talked about this. Well, anyway, it came from the thing. Um, but anyway, it was definitely... Uh, so the idea was we've been invaded, and the block... The second block turned into a war, which we were 50%, 50% each side. And in the last set, you find, you find out who won the war. And we did this neat thing where we advertised two different sets. Uh, was it going to be Mirrored and Pure or uh, New Phyrexia? Who was going to win the Great War? Uh, and then, ba-ba-ba, the product came out and we found out who won the war. Um, so it was pretty cool. And that's a, uh, Well, we'll get to Mirrored and Siege next time. There's a cool preview from Mirrored and Siege. But that's 2011. Okay, so let's continue on. December 9th through the 12th was the World Championship in Chiba, Japan. Um, so the finals were Guillaume, uh, Guillaume Matignon versus Guillaume Wafatapa. It's Guillaume on Guillaume, French on French finals. And Guillaume Matignon managed to win. And it ended up in a very once and once forever thing. Uh, Guillaume Matignon and Brad Nelson tied for Pro Player of the Year. They were exactly even. So we ended the year, ended the season, not knowing who the pro player of the year was. And when we get to 2011, I'll talk about what happened, because they had a playoff in the very next pro tour. Also, Team Slovak Republic, which is Robert Jerkovic, Ivan Flock, and Patrick Surag, Surab, um, managed to defeat Team Australia to win for the team event. Um, so one of my favorite things of the event, by the way, um, was... Uh, a promotional thing, actually. So we do this thing called Massive Magic, where um, at the event we um, will play a game with giant, ma- giant magic cards, like three feet tall. Have you ever seen the magic cards in pictures in our office? We have giant cards. That, those are what it's from. Usually, is us playing Massive Magic. And the way Massive Magic works is we um, have two people who are playing, usually wizards people, and then. Every time we draw a new card, we get a, a representative from the audience to play that card. And they get to carry it, and they cast it, and if it's a permanent, they stand there, and they tap it, and if it's a creature, they attack with it. Um, and then we have commentary done by uh, some people who do commentary. And anyway, it's, it's just a hoot. It's, a, it's really, really fun. And at the Worlds in Chiba, um, because it was Scars of Mirrodin, uh, we set up this thing where it was the Frexians versus the Mirrodins. And so Richard Garfield and I were the two people playing. I took the role of Frexia because I was a huge Frexia fan. Richard took the role of Mirren. And we had this awesome, awesome battle. Um, so what happened was, because um, Frexian is awesome, I got the lead. I got the early lead. Um, but then Mirren managed to come back. But then I managed to turn the tide. And I was on the cusp of winning. And just as I was on the cusp of winning, uh, Richard revealed that he was a double agent secretly working for the Frexians. But then the judges, who I will, I will admit, I believe were unbiased, uh, were a little, I believe, pro-Miran, uh, made some calls that were very against Frexia in a very biased way, I will say. Uh, and it helped Mirrodin catch back up, and so Mirrodin managed to sort of get its footing. Then Richard revealed he was a triple agent and actually really working for Mirren. Uh And then I managed to pull it out. My team and I, we managed to have a win for Phyrexia, and we managed to win and defeat the Mirans, which I like to believe was a little tease of what was coming down the pipe. Uh, spoilers for those that somehow don't know the block. Um, and uh, also, one another fun thing we did was um, 
Uh, we used to have worlds in December at the time, and so we would usually find some fun way to tease the upcoming set. Um, for those who know the story of worlds uh, in is it Memphis, I think, New York or Memphis, where I, I showed off the uh, Chameleon Colossus by playing in a multiplayer game and uh, getting 55,000 life through some crazy attack. Um, anyway, uh, this was... Uh, we put the, pre- the preview cards in our decks. We had one in the Mirror deck and one in the um, Phyrexian deck, so we got to show off some cards. Um, but anyway, we had, we had great fun. Um, I love... I, I, I always love hanging out with Richard. Richard Garfield is an awesome guy for those that might not know that. Um, and he and I don't get to see each other as much anymore. He used to work at Wizards, obviously, and I used to see him every single day. Um, in fact, back in my early days, not only did we spend every day together working, but after work, most of us used to go out to eat most nights, and we would stay and play games late in the evening. And so I, I had spent a lot of meals with Richard and uh, definitely played a lot of games with Richard. Richard introduced me to a whole mess of games. You ever want a great uh, instructor in the world of games? Richard Garfield is a master in just, he knows everything about every game. And he will teach you to play games you've never seen before. Many in other languages. At the time, a lot of them were in German. Back before the German games really got brought here to the U.S. But anyway, um, I had a blast hanging out with him at Worlds. So, uh, to wrap up the year. So 2010, uh, I said that 2009 was the ramping up year. 2010, we're bam, bam, bam. It's happening. Dual decks are happening. From the Vault is happening. Um, deck, uh, deck Builder's Toolkit is happening. Um, we even experiment with other things that didn't end up going anywhere, like the Premium Booster or the Planeswalker decks. We started the summer, um, you know, uh, alt format uh, product with uh, we had Arch Enemy and you know the uh, and then and Magic was just. Hidden, you know, I mean, so one of the things to realize is, starting with Magic 2010, Magic started going on this great rise that, that it's been on ever since. Um, and so this was the early days. Um, I mean, Zendikar was, even though it was 2010, Zendikar was still going strong. Uh, we had World Wake, we had Rise of the Eldrazi, we had Scars of Mirrodin. Um, there was just a lot of Magic and a lot of people playing Magic and a lot of just uh, excitement as people were, were, more and more people were getting into playing Magic. Um... And like I said, the Pro Tours, we had Simon Gerdson win, and Paulo Vito Damaderosa win, and Paul Reitzel win, and Guillaume Mathione win. Um, in fact, if you look at the finals of most of these, uh, three of the four finals had future Hall of Famers in it. Um, I guess that's how you get in the Hall of Fame is by being the finals. Um, it helps. Um, but anyway, it was, a fu- it, was a, it was a very fun and exciting year, but a, a full year. For example, one of the ways to realize is, if you go back to some of the early years, like 96, 97, you'll notice when I was recapping the year, like, about half the years me talking about all the pro tours that were going on, and like, you know, there were years in which they were like, we put out three products and that was it. That's all we did. We didn't even do a course every other year. We put out three products. So this year, we put out, real quickly, let's recap, we put out World Wake, we put out the Premium Shards of Alara Boosters, we put out the Dual Decks Frexian vs. The Coalition, we put out Rise of the Odrazi, the Deck Builders Toolkit, Duel to the Planeswalker decks, Arch Enemy, uh, Magic 2011, From the Vault Relics, uh, Duel decks, Elspeth vs. Tezzeret, Scars of Mirrodin. <laughs> That's a lot of stuff. And we don't let up, by the way. We keep making more stuff. So, like, it's, it's funny. I mean, the 2010, might, we were ramping up and we continue to ramp, but we don't stop. So, upcoming is 2011. We, 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 uh, 2010's getting into the next decade. The, our current decade for Magic. And uh, Magic is just going strong and making 8 
billion different things, and um, I was busy, busy, busy. Uh, I, I guess, I, I, I don't know, I, I'm always busy, but uh, 2010 was a great, it was a fun year, there's a lot of cool things that happened during it, um, I think there's definitely lots of highs and lows and cool things happening, so um, anyway, it was a fun year to recap, so next time I do the series, we'll, we'll get to 2011, but that, my friends, in a drive-filled nutshell, is 2010, so I, got, I hope you guys had fun, but I pulled in my parking spot, uh, so that means it's time to end my drive to work. So instead of talking magic, it's time for me to be making magic. Thanks for joining me, guys.